It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. You're listening to The Randy Hahn Show on the Sharks Audio Network. Now, here's Randy. In 2004, the Sharks used a fourth-round draft pick to select University of Vermont freshman Tory Mitchell, a forward. Three years later, Tory would start his pro career playing forward for the Sharks AHL affiliate, the Worcester Sharks in Massachusetts. And then in the fall of 07, Tory would make the Sharks out of training camp to play all 82 games his rookie NHL season. In all, he would play over 300 games in Teal over five years and go on to play over 700 NHL regular season and playoff games with four other franchises, and then retired following a year in the Swiss League in 2019. And Tori Mitchell joins us from Burlington, Vermont. Tori, it's great speaking with you again. Was Vermont always going to be the place you ended up after your pro hockey career? Good question. I just got to take this all in. It's nice hearing your radio voice again, your TV voice. It's amazing. How you been, Randy? Good? (laughs) I've been good. Uh, Everything's great. Uh, Unbelievably, uh, we're in year 31 doing this gig. So hopefully if I don't screw it up, they'll keep me for a few more years. Amazing. Um, It's good to connect with you again. No, just uh, Burlington, Vermont. I don't know what it was about it uh, when I I ended up coming here for college uh I'd, I'd come back here in my summers in the off seasons to train and work out and we had a good little setup with a bunch of alumni training and working in the summers and uh the summers are nice the winters are long and cold which i'm in the middle of right now but uh no we, we're settled here my wife and three i got three girls now three six and seven so we're vermont's our home base now and what are you doing there I mean, I actually started a uh, hockey training facility um, about two years ago when I retired uh, from, like you said, from uh, my, my last year in Switzerland. And uh, it's just kind of taken off. We have a little uh, 40 by 60 ice sheet. Uh, I wish I could flip the uh, the computer around and show you the, uh, give you the grand tour, but I, I won't do that. But, uh, and then from there, we just started uh, putting videos on, on Instagram to be, uh, to, to dummy it down. And, uh, I think we're going to have potentially six, six of these six facilities kind of, uh, scattered through, uh, the nearest one is that, which has opened already in, uh, North Andover. So Boston area. And then, uh, we got one in Raleigh, Tampa Bay and Las Vegas popping up, uh, hopefully within the next six to 12 months. Uh, so, it just caught on. People people really enjoyed our our online social media presence with uh, just just fun videos. My partner's uh, kind of a stick handling guru, and uh, no, it's it's just we put a little video video out like I'd say about a year ago, saying, "Hey, if this is something that you could see yourself doing, uh, this type of model uh, with the smaller ice and 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 having fun with kids and." throwing them on social media and reach out to us. And that's what's here we are. It's uh, it's exploded since then. And it's been, it's been really fun. 
it's been really fun to be able to stay in the game and not travel as much as when I played. So. Well, great to hear it. And it sounds like that uh, college education is kicking in right on time. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot to talk about, but I want to start back in suburban Montreal, actually in Greenfield Park, where you grew up, uh, knowing the environment there as I do, you know, being a Canadian as well and traveling to Montreal many times over the years. Hockey isn't really a sport in Montreal. It's a religion. Did you ever have a choice to play hockey or was it just expected when you were a kid? Oh, it was just expected. You, you know how it is up there. Uh, you know, even the uh, even the neighborhood kids that uh, are probably more on the artsy side or, or, you know, have no interest in hockey are, are on the backyard rinks after school or after dinner. Um, everyone just ends up playing hockey, uh, especially in, in the suburb that I of Montreal that I grew up in. There must have been. Uh, I mean, just in our little neighborhood alone, there's probably 25 backyard rinks, you know, so it was uh, jostling for a position on who was going to have the big Friday and Saturday night games uh, every weekend. But it was, no, we're typical middle class Canadian family. Both my parents were teachers. My dad fired up the backyard rink every winter and my brother and I spent uh, hours and hours and hours back there uh, just having fun. Just having a lot of fun. Talk a little bit more about your your parents, Steve and Sheila, and and your home life as a kid growing up around Montreal. What are your memories of that time when you uh, b- before hockey became a uh, focal point in your life? Steve and Sheila, yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, you, you know what my my uh, my situation was a little different than most uh, Canadian kids because I. Uh, it was pretty unique. I, I was English growing up in a predominantly uh, French area. And my town was pro- Greenfield Park is the name of the town that I grew up in. And it was probably about 50% English households. Uh, there's about 20,000 people that live there um, and 50% French, uh, uh, French speaking households. And then outside of that, outside the town, uh, it's pretty much all French. So, uh, you know, after age eight or nine, playing on my hometown team with all my uh, English friends, it uh, it quickly it quickly transitioned to I was the only English kid on the team my whole uh, childhood, pretty much. You know, so from from age probably ten to through sixteen, I was uh, they call me uh, l'anglais, which is the English. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, it was it was unique. I, I loved it. I have some really good uh, still to the day, some really good French buddies. Uh, but uh, no, it, it it was a mix of, uh, you know, I'd go to English school during the day and I ended up going to the, the school that my dad, my brother and I went to a school that my dad worked at. Um, and I'd get my education there and then I'd get my real education uh, when I'd show up to the hockey locker room where I was the only English guy in the team. <laughs> So it was uh, definitely unique that way. And I, I, when I look back and talk about it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm appreciative that I had that, that story, this story to tell, because there are a couple of other uh, uh, guys that have gone through my situation a little bit different. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking of like Corey Crawford and Alex Kalorn and some English Montrealers, but they grew up kind of more in English area speaking area. So their teams were probably had more than one English kid on the team. It was not like that in my area. Long Gale, which is kind of the uh, the big uh, 
suburb out south of Montreal is it's about 99.9% French. So uh, I had some interesting friends and some interesting uh, experiences, not to get political, but it was during the time of the referendum of potentially Quebec separating from Canada. So it was, that was my upbringing. It was really unique, but I enjoyed telling the story. Well, by the time you were in junior high school at that, uh, at that private middle school, I believe it was Selwyn House in Westmount, another uh, suburb in Montre uh, Montreal. Yeah. Uh, you had already been a pretty good hockey player by then. Uh, one of the Selwyn old boys, I believe. Uh, in fact, I, I believe you're still the only player from that school to make it to the NHL. But you also played uh, some football and rugby there, didn't you? <laughs> I did. You did your homework, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I we had a uh, provincial championship rugby team of all things. We we went. Uh, I think we went thirty or thirty-five and zero on the season. Just wiped through everyone because it was. It was kind of the only sport at the school where the hawk, all the hockey guys and all the football guys combined for one sport. It was it was an all boys school. So um, we had we had some really good athletes on those rugby teams. But yeah, I mean, I grew up playing three sports. Uh, my dad was a really big baseball guy. Um, so base, baseball and football and hockey, I was always um, juggling those three sports. And and then, um, you know, I ended up picking hockey when I was uh 16. 16 is when I played football uh, still all the way up until uh, I was 15. And then uh, AAA midget hockey was was too much to, to still play other sports. So I had to kind of make uh, make the pick then. But it was pretty, pretty late where I was still playing three sports um, uh, and then and then obviously picked hockey. But yeah. So. so so now so now you're off to prep school and this is the big move because you uh you cross the border and you go to Hotchkiss in uh, Connecticut was was your life at that point hockey 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 all the time and did is that maybe the time that you had a sense that a career in hockey was a possibility uh that that's that's definitely when I when I started thinking more uh hockey 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 for sure um I was on kind of a unique uh type of scholarship where i could uh i did like independent study for my my sport during the fall so i could play on a team uh like a city team that was maybe 30 minutes away from the school the the, the campus and then the hockey season and then in the spring i could i did another one of those like independent study just train hockey training so that year was was definitely hockey and i i was on quite a few radars for some scholarships for some some colleges some NCAA schools so uh yeah I mean I I no I I, I to answer the second part of the question um I it was always just a goal of mine to to, to go to school and get school paid for and play college hockey um I remember coming down to University of Vermont watching Martin Martin St. Louis and Eric Curran and Tim Thomas uh play in the mid-90s and that had an impact. I was probably 11 or 12 that or 10 or 11. My, that had an impact that I always had uh, that memory, um, you know, people tailgating and you couldn't get a ticket to those games back then. Those guys were so such a big deal. So um, I, I always wanted to play. That was my goal. Just play, play college hockey, try to get school paid for. And, um, you know, whatever happens after that's great. But that was my main goal. It was never 
um, you know, I'm going to make the NHL, you know, I obviously had those dreams like everybody else, but um, I just wanted to be able to play college. So you go to Vermont with the Catamounts and uh, end up spending uh, three years there in your freshman year. Uh, you were drafted by the Sharks back in 2004. How did you find out you were drafted? It must have been quite exciting. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so the dra- I didn't go to the draft. It was I was on the list. I, I was like maybe 80. I think I was 85th or something North American skaters. So I thought maybe I could go uh, back then. They still had nine rounds. I thought maybe I could go in the seventh or eighth round or something like that. Uh, I did not go to the draft uh, in Raleigh, but um, I got uh, the first day they did the first three rounds and I did not get drafted or maybe the first day they did the first two rounds. And then uh, the next day I thought the draft was going to start at noon again. And I got a phone call from my agent uh, at like nine 30, well, family advisor, I guess at the time. And uh, he said, you just got drafted. So I was uh, sleeping. <laughs> I was sleeping when I got drafted. <laughs> uh, no one was home. Uh, I was in my, my, my little, uh, my little bedroom that I grew up in. That's, uh, my mom's knitting room now. And, uh, I popped out of bed, uh, kind of celebrated a little bit and, uh, ran downstairs. My parents were, uh, were out for breakfast. My brother wasn't home and, uh, yeah, I didn't, uh, they, I don't think they had cell phones at the time. So I just waited till I think 11 30, 12, they ended up coming home a little bit later to, to watch the second day of the draft to follow it online. And, uh, and I said, I got, I got, dra- I got picked up. I got drafted. And of course pulled, pulled up the uh, sharks lineup. Like <laughs> where do I fit in? You know? So uh, it was, it was super exciting moment for me. Yeah. You ended up playing uh, three years at Vermont came out after your junior year and, and you played 11 games that, that year in Worcester and I'm guessing that was right around the time that this kid from Wisconsin named Joe Pavelski was there, wasn't he? Yeah. So, pa- uh, so Pavelski, Pavs, and and Matt Carl had just. Uh, so there was a little discussion after my second year at Vermont that I was going to sign, and uh, but San Jose had just signed Pavelski and Matt Carl, so. Uh, the timing was, was uh, there might've been a little bit of a log jam there going up against those guys uh, for roster spots, but uh, the timing was better for me to go back to school and get a little stronger, get, get a little more experience, uh, kind of go back and be in a leadership role on, at UVM and, and then, and then sign. So it, it worked out, but yeah, um, we, we ended up losing in the quarterfinals to Boston university and I, we bust back to Burlington and the, uh, the next or two days later, I was, uh, I packed my car and I was driving down to Worcester and, uh, Pavs and Pavs was not, Pavs was already called up. Uh, he was already in San Jose. Um, so I did not ever play any games with him in Worcester, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, I, I just remember looking, I mean, he, he wasn't down there very long. He was down there for maybe 15 games or something like that. And he had almost 30 points. Um, so he didn't spend much time in Worcester the year before or earlier that season. Sorry. Um, before he, now he's, now he's still going. It's crazy. <laughs> so uh, when you finally get to San Jose uh, in person, was it your first time there and uh, first time maybe in California? 
not for that that training camp. I had come to a couple development camps uh, leading up to that first training camp, uh, so I I knew a little a little bit about the area and and the uh, the old Hilton Hotel. <laughs> uh, so I was I was I was more comfortable than just you know, showing that first training camp. I mean, after I signed, I was, and, and had played in Worcester a little bit, that just gave me the, I don't know. I, I had, I had a lot of confidence going into that first training camp, uh, in my play and comfortable with like the, the, all the different faces that I had met in Worcester and guys that I had spent time with over development camps and stuff. So, um, by the time of those, those, and, and I, I know they still do on those rookie tournaments and, by the time those it was it was Anaheim, it was just two games against Anaheim for mine. But um, by the time those rolled around, I was I felt like I had a good chance to make the team uh, right out of training camp if I just took it one day at a time. Um, and that's that's sort of what happened. I got a little bit lucky with uh, I think Marcel Gotch at the time got hurt. Uh, Curtis Brown had an ankle injury or something. So kind of the two the two guys that uh, I would have been. Uh, you know, fighting for a roster spot against the third and fourth line centers kind of went down like that. So it, it gave me, uh, it gave me an opportunity, more of an opportunity to show, show what I can do. Yeah. Well, you had such great wheels uh, in those training camp times and, and that stood out so much and you end up making the team. And, and my memory is that you ended up playing quite a bit with Mike Greer and uh, good old Patrick Rissmiller that season. Uh, yeah primarily in a in a third line role and yeah. and doing a lot of penalty killing. In fact, I believe it was Greerzy who set you up for your first NHL goal in Anaheim uh, in December of that season and and Rob Blake, now the Hall of Famer, was on the ice for that goal. That must be a great memory for you. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I I still have the uh I got the puck over there and says People, people come into our, our offices and they, they look at it and says, Mike Greer assisted my, your first goal was assisted by Mike Greer and Jeremy Roenick. No way. I'm like, yeah, it's not a big deal. No big deal. But uh, no, it was a great memory. Yeah, I played, uh, yeah, checking line role. Took me uh, 16 games to score my first goal, which was a pattern throughout my career. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, you know, those, I mean, those, I mean, even, even Riz, uh, Riz Miller, those guys were just good, good pros, good mentors, uh, to look up to for me, uh, my first year, uh, especially Grizzly. I mean, he, uh, you know, you know, just as much as I do, how much of a good professional he is and great, great person off the ice. Um, yeah, those guys, uh, great memories scored the first goal, JS Jaguar, not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to expand on that a little bit because those were some great and, and really interesting teams in that era of Sharks hockey. Uh, you had teammates like we just mentioned, uh, Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Ryan Klo, uh, Jonathan Chichu, Douglas Murray, Chody Shelley, Bush, yep. Brian Boucher, who's now a big TV star, um, Nabby. Uh, how did how did they treat you young guys, you and Devin Setaguchi? Cause you were, you were young teammates yeah. at that time. Oh, so well, I mean, uh, I'm just thinking, uh, I saw the dinners, you know, like, uh, Ronick having us over all the time for dinner, his wife cooking for us. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those teams where it felt like, you know, like, how do you, how do you fit in on a team like this with all these legends? You know, it was, 
for a young guy to walk into that locker room um, is, and you look around and you see, you see all the names you just mentioned and Rob Blake and, and Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton, Chichu. And, you know, you just, the back off, you're thinking, well, there's no, there's no way, there's no way there's room for me here, you know? And then, and then you take it one day at a time and, um, you know, you keep it simple you're, and then it, uh, it plays out, you know, hopefully the way you want it to play out, but it, uh, those teams were, those teams were remarkable. I mean, we had Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe in their freaking primes, you know, those guys, you remember what they would do. It'd be two, nothing. We'd, we'd go up two, nothing in the first 10 minutes of the game. And, uh, it was just cruise control the rest of the game. <laughs> you know, it was, it was constantly, uh, ripping off eight wins every 10 games. I mean, we were caught. If you looked at the 10, the L 10 last 10 games, it was, you know, the sharks are seven and three or eight and two. It was like clockwork uh, with, with those. And it was those two guys that were leading the way, you know, there was, there was obviously a lot of different great players that played with them, but, you know, Milan McCulloch and Setaguchi and, and Chloe, you know, guys that would spot in on their line, but, when those two were going, I mean, they, they drove the bus for us and the team just fell in line. And, um, you know, how competitive, uh, Jumbo is and, and how competitive Patrick Marlowe is. And they really wanted to win there. And we had such a great culture because of those two players. Uh, fans always ask me about Joe Thornton and, you know, what's he like? And, and I say the guy you see on the ice and then that you see in interviews occasionally in the media is basically the same guy off the ice. What was and maybe is now your relationship with Jumbo? Good. He he'll uh, <laughs> he he shoots me an annual text message when he's with uh, one of our old uh, equipment guys, Ricky Bobby, who is in uh, I think he's in Minnesota now. Anyways, he every time Ricky he's with Bronwell. Ricky. Yeah, Rick Bronwell, just a great, uh, great guy like the rest of the equipment guys. And uh, he he'll shoot me a text. He's he's got his arm around Rick. And <laughs> that's our that's our uh, that's our communication. Uh, no, a couple couple text messages here and there. He's always uh, I mean, he treats everyone the same and his teammates always loved him. And, and I really I mean, I just loved him. You know, you, you just looked up to him so much because he treated you like a buddy, you know, uh, he, he really loved his teammates as friends and still does. And, um, you know, when he, when I, I can text him and he'll, he'll, he's just so excited that he got a text from one of his former teammates. That's genuinely how he feels. And, and that's why it's, you know, he's such a lovable guy on and off the ice. Um, so I got a great relationship with him. <laughs> there have to be so many stories that come to mind to you from those years, but none like the one that you and uh, Devin Setaguchi were involved in what's known as the uh, greatest NHL prank of all time that was planned and executed by Jeremy Roenick in Las Vegas. And I know you've told this story several times, including on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, uh, which if you want to look it up, uh, it's episode 336 on YouTube or just search the greatest prank of all time. So uh, Tori, I won't ask you to go down that road and go through that story again, because it's quite a story and it, it, it deserves more time than we have, but to suffice to say it was a doozy, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm still uh, I'm still texting Seto and talking to Seto now and then about tr- how how are you gonna freaking get this guy back? I don't think we can top what he did to us, but it was uh, while well, I said it on spitting chicklets that the I I I was lining up for faceoffs. Ten years into my career, complete stranger next to me, someone that I'd never played with or never met, and they'd ask me, "Is that Ronick story true?" And I'd be like, "What in the world? <laughs> this this is just traveling like wildfire. Uh, it's just just a crazy crazy story. <laughs> I mean, it's really nuts. You know, he got stabbed yeah, to death. It, it absolutely and, is. I, I I can't believe it. And uh, if you wanna. Look it up again. Just search greatest NHL prank of all time on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and and I'll, I'll just give you one. I don't want to ruin the story, but I'll just give you one clue. Dakota is the password. Dakota. <laughs> yeah. right? uh, D- Dakota, Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to switch gears here a little bit. And, and this is sensitive, but, uh, you know, we have to talk about this. It's a bit of a dark road in your career. Uh, March of 2008, Sharks playing the Minnesota Wild in San Jose. And you and Wild defenseman Curtis Foster chasing a puck down on an icing play. He's got a a step or two on you, and and you guys are both flying into the boards. Uh, What happened from your memory on that play? Just, you know, I'm skating as fast as I can trying to to get to to the puck. I didn't know there was a delayed icing, um, unfortunately. then I probably would have let up a little bit, you know, and I got behind him, um, you know, probably gave, I mean, I've watched it so many times, <laughs> you know, uh, pro- definitely gave him too much of a nudge that far from the boards uh, makes it so dangerous. Um, and he flew into the boards awkwardly um, and, you know, he broke his femur and, it was, uh, you know, I didn't even want to finish the game. It was, I, I remember kind of looking down on him and put, kind of putting my hand on him and kind of saying like, sorry, or are you okay? And, uh, you know, going to the penalty box and, you know, the other team like kind of coming after me a little bit the rest of the game. But I, I was like, I, I didn't know what to say. You know, I, I had never, you know, I played maliciously. I never had taken uh penalties like that before so it was like heart-wrenching for me to like even get through the game and then you know he was in he was in surgery and I I ended up talking to him it's funny I talked to him a year later when he was back playing and uh after one of the games and he he didn't remember talking to me in the hospital because he was he had just got out of surgery for 12 hours and um, I was just really relieved and happy to know because I was following his progress and during his rehab and stuff and relieved and happy to know that he was back playing again. Um, oddly enough, I had, uh, I'm sure you, you might mention it next. I had in the, in the following season in training camp, I broke my leg, not my femur, my, my tib fib. And, you know, I went through almost a hundred, I missed almost 120 games. And that, that just, for me and Curtis, that was our connection. You know, we, we, uh, we played years later. Uh, I think he was in, I think he was in Edmonton at the time. And I might've been in, I don't know if I was still in San Jose. I might've been in Minnesota and we just had a great chat, like just a, 
just a really classy guy, you know, to, to say, Hey, you know, he was asking how my leg was <laughs> when, when, uh, you know, he had like a skin graft and like his leg was mangled and, you know, it was just, you play hard and he, you know, I never, he, he knew that I never had an intention to, to hurt him on that play. Um, so, and, and you know, looking back on it, uh, I think both of us, the rules changed uh, almost right after that uh, with with the uh, touch up icing. Uh, so you don't you don't see those types of in injuries, uh, you know, not not much, hopefully not at all. But um, you never want anyone to get hurt. Uh, it's just it's you, you play hard and it was an accident. And I'm just glad that he was able to make a comeback and he's he's fine and healthy today. Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's one of those moments that I'll never forget. And anybody who was at the game or watching it wouldn't forget because it wasn't just the normal uh, delay to get a player off after an injury. It, it was a major injury, you know, when yeah. you break the, the femur, your biggest bone in your body in three places. And I think he cracked his kneecap too. Um, I mean, you could hear a pin it, drop. You could hear a pin yeah, drop. It, it, it was just so traumatic, but I remember you putting brutal. your hand on him. And I also remember Jr. Uh, helping lift the stretcher out as the paramedics took him to the hospital. And you know what? That's yeah. that's how you guys are. I mean, that's the hockey culture. That's just the way yeah. things are. And and you battle and you go at each other. But at the end of the day, um, nobody wants anybody's career to be threatened. Nobody wants to see somebody get hurt. Nobody wants to have a player's family witnessed something like that. It's just no. something that happened. And, and then, you know, to make it even crazier, you end up playing for the Minnesota wild later in your, in your career. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just the, the whole thing was bizarre how you got mm -hmm. hurt the very next training camp when you got kind of pushed by Westgarth, I think it was. Yeah, and, yep. uh, and, and broke your, broke your leg on the, on the yep. post, but uh, went on to have a fine career after that. So we'll yeah, leave that yeah, in the yeah. past. Let's shift to, uh, back to happier times. A couple of things right. here. We, we've always called you Mitchie, yep. but some of the fans also called you Taco Tori. Uh -huh. Now, one of the shark sponsors, Jack in the Box, had a very specific promotion back in the day. If the shark scored a goal, and this is really specific, they must have got a deal on this. If the shark scored in the final two minutes of the second period, everybody at the game got free tacos. Now, you didn't just do it once. You did it a bunch of times. Now, was this on purpose? Were you trying to put Jack in the Box out of business? I don't know. I don't know what the deal was, but I got done after that first one. And everyone's like, dude, you got the whole crowd free tacos. I'm like, what? Are you seriously? And then the nickname didn't, it didn't start after that. That was just the first one. And then. I don't know how soon after, but pretty soon I scored another goal with two minutes left inside two minutes home game. And then Taco Tori, <laughs> it just, it stuck, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, I still get the, the odd Taco Tori, uh, Instagram message, uh, from, from our, uh, on our business Instagram page, uh, from obviously sharks fans, but yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely screwed Jack in the box a couple of times there. Uh, yeah, yeah, they left us funny. after that, but uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, tacos are your, uh, 
your go-to um, cheat meal when, uh, as a Montreal boy, of course, a good Montreal boy when you're not eating poutine. poutine. Um, let's let's uh, let's continue here, and I still maintain that you scored one of the greatest shorthanded goals in Sharks history back in 07 against Anaheim, and they were the defending cup champs that year. So, you know, the rivalry was strong as it, as it always has been between the Sharks and the Ducks. Do you remember the goal that I'm talking about uh, against Anaheim shorthanded? Oh yeah. Yeah. How could I forget it? <laughs> I didn't score too many goals, but for some reason I had a couple highlight ones in there and that was, uh, that was a, uh, that was a fun one for me. Uh, shorthanded in Anaheim. We're down one nothing. And uh it was Matthew Schneider and Chris Pronger on D. I think I stole it from Schneider. Uh went down and uh kind of got tripped up a little bit. Pronger almost caught up to me, gave me a little whack on the, the elbow and then I I fell to my knees, got back up and looked and the puck was still in front of me. <laughs> I thought oh what's going on here this could finish pretty good uh no i put little little backhand move on jaguar and uh tied it one one but uh yeah that that was a memorable one for me for sure that pe people still bring up and uh those games were uh against the ducks uh boy they were that was our big rival and those were some some tight games they uh Detroit as well, but uh, those Anaheim games were, were tough with those. They had some big, mean teams, and they were really good. And just watching Getzlaff go up against Jumbo, those were uh, those were intense games. Now, I don't know what's with you and the Schneiders, because Matthew Schneider was involved in that goal. But you had another beauty of a dangle against Corey Schneider and the Canucks uh, when right. you basically channeled Pavel Datsuk you took a drop pass from Kyle Wellwood in the uh, center ice zone and went through like the whole Canucks team <laughs> and scored. This is like a YouTube classic. So it's a out of body experience. You, you go 30 games without scoring a goal. And then all of a sudden your, uh, your dots on the ice. I don't know. But I get back to the bench. I remember Jamal Mayers was sitting next to me. And he said, how good do you feel right now? And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know how I feel. I don't know what happened there. Am I watching? Was that myself on the screen? Oh my God. Anyways. Uh, yeah, that was a good one too. Uh, because, uh, actually shark tank was, was buzzing that night. Uh, that was loud, really loud that night. Uh, we, uh, I think, I don't know. Anyway, that, that tied it up late, tied it up in the, in the third period. I think it tied it up. Maybe, maybe we went up a goal, but, uh, no, that was, uh, yeah, another out-of-body experience. Can't explain it, Randy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. And uh, I think I had a really good call, too. Uh, but that that doesn't matter. Um, speaking of yeah, Pavel Datsuk, now, he wasn't much of a fighter. Neither were you. I think I, I haven't actually checked, checked the Hockey Fights website, but you maybe had two actual fights um, as a shark or maybe in your career. I don't know. Uh, but you sort of fought Datsuk once, didn't you? Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. Uh, we we just, uh, you know, as a, as a checking line forward, I was matched up against them uh, a lot, <laughs> especially during those those playoff uh, runs. Um, I think we played them. Did we play them two years in a row? Anyways, uh, yeah, those those were uh, intense. You know, I was trying to stop him, getting his head, and 
definitely a good trade-off uh, going to the penalty box if uh, that soup's going with me. So I was very well aware of that. Um, I don't think it was much of a fight. It was probably just, uh, <laughs> you're right, I didn't fight much. I think I ended up having nine or ten fights in my career, but uh, I don't know. I don't think he liked me very much. It was funny too, Randy, because I was playing in, uh, in, when I signed in Switzerland, we, we were, uh, sorry to jump ahead so far here, but uh, we were in like a, like a preseason jamboree type thing uh, where you, you played two or three teams from different leagues and it was in France. And uh, one of the teams was uh, CSKA Moscow. And I'm like looking at the roster don't think anything of it get out on the ice uh i look over and warm-ups and it's 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 him it's datsuk again and i'm like you gotta be kidding me line up first face off the guys the guys never said a word to me all those games all, all even shaking hands in the line just kind of head nod and uh he in france in northern france he looks at me and goes you again <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I felt the same. I was like, right back at you, pal. Like, <laughs> I'm chasing you around with all my little Swiss guys, all my little Swiss buddies, and you got all the big Russian Red Army teams buzzing around. They just, we hardly touched the puck the whole game. Anyways, uh, good memory. Yeah. Tori, to recap, as you look back on, on the part of your career in San Jose and all the talent on those teams, including you and, and, and the role you played, doesn't it seem like that group should have at least been in a Stanley Cup final or two? Yeah, it burns. It, it burns. Uh, you know, we, we uh, geez, I mean, the regular season was just prep, just prepare for the playoffs. You know, it was, um, we just ran, like, we ran through the regular season. We knew how good we were. Um, you know, it just, you get, you, you know, you know more than me. I mean, you get, you get down to those final four teams and it, it's just, it's something so little that can change the series. And we were, we were good enough to win the Stanley cup. Those, those, I know we, I went to the conference finals back to back years. And the first year, look, we ran into what was basically a future dynasty with, with the Blackhawks. You know, it was the first time that it was kind of, you know, we, we get to uh, the conference finals and the Blackhawks, Kane uh, and Taves and Seabrook and Keith and Crawford, they, they took their game to another level that second half of that season. And, you know, they were just the best team by the time, you know, uh, May rolled around, uh, unfortunately, and, and we ran into them. And, and then the following season, I thought we were going to do it. And it's, you know, we ran into a really, really, really good. It was us and us or Vancouver. It was going to be us or Vancouver. And, you know, even Vancouver, uh, you know, those guys, I mean, the Sedines were just complete in their prime. And unfortunate, you know, I, I, I look back at those two years and it's funny because when you're, you know, I was still young in my career, but you, you hear the older guys like, this is our chance. We don't know when we're going to be back. And I, I had, ne I never went back. I played, played eight, seven or eight more years and I never went back to the conference finals. So um, obviously, obviously on, on different teams, but um, you know, you, you, uh, you look back and when you bring it up, you think, man, that was our chance, you know, that was our chance. Uh, I know, I know the Sharks got a little closer um, when they, I think they lost to Pittsburgh, right? In that cup finals, was it? Yeah. 
Um, but too bad. Too bad. I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie. Every time I see Kevin BX on Hockey Night in Canada, I throw off a little bit in my mouth. But uh, uh, I know. Yeah, that was that was tough. Tori, before I let you go, I want to ask you about your wife, Brindy, and I believe you still uh, maintain the Sharks' record of being the first and only San Jose Shark player to marry somebody from Montana. Uh, and <laughs> I want to ask you about Brindy and your three girls. How are you enjoying family life? It's great. I mean, they just consume me. <laughs> they consume my every moment. Uh, it's good. It's been, uh, the girls are great. They're all in school. Um, Brindy is actually teaching kindergarten this year. So it's her first year back teaching, which is exciting. Uh, after following me uh, all over the world for, uh, for 10 years. So it's been uh, it's been really good. You know, we're settled in, uh, been back in, in since 2018, 19, uh, is when I uh, retired after Switzerland and, um, no family life's good. Everyone's healthy. And, uh, we're just trying to keep up with the girls every day. They are into a lot of activities and, uh, usually right about now. So it's three forty-five. If I could drag this podcast on a little bit longer, I, I might be able to miss, pick school pickup time and maybe piano lessons <laughs> but everyone's good everyone's good thanks for asking tori mitchell you had a wonderful nhl career you're a university of vermont hall of famer you're a great shark thanks so much for reminiscing with us good luck with elevate and we hope to see you back at the shark tank as a visiting member of the alumni soon awesome thanks for having me randy appreciate it